Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Rachel Pope, and today I am joined by the very smart, very interesting Professor Renee Santiels. She is the Henry Eldridge-born Professor of History at Case Western Reserve University, um, my alma mater. Just give me a little shout out. She focuses on the history of sex and women in the last century in the U.S. She's the co-director of the Women and Gender Studies program at Case, and she's the author of many books and articles and specializes in teaching and research on American women's history, specifically on gender and sexuality. And I'm so happy to have her here with me. Welcome, Renee. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. And I had the pleasure of meeting Renee's class last semester and giving a talk on women's sexual health and um, you know current medications, what's happening in the field. And we started talking about stigma and women's sexuality. And I had kind of this really interesting uh, moment where I was learning that women and sexuality or talking about sex, I guess talking about sex in general was not always stigmatized in the US. And we just kind of started this whole conversation. And I thought, okay, Renee, we have to have a podcast about this. Tell me all that you know about <laughs> sexuality, stigma in the US and in, in history from a historical context. So maybe we could just start there. Was it always okay. stigmatized? <laughs> uh, well, first of all, it's hard for us because we live in our current moment, which is you have a lot of privacy um, and right. you you think about, you expect that. And so right. if you try to put yourself in the mind frame of people who lived in periods where often many people shared a room, parents and children shared a bed, um, you think about you can think about all kinds of houses the houses of the working poor the aristocrats i think of log cabins i always True. tell my students at some i often tell my students at some point in a class in the 19th century now you realize they're doing everything in this cabin and when the winter comes they're not getting to leave and so they're all sharing all this so of course sex was not stigmatized but at the same time people what they would do is they would create lines of propriety verbally. Mm -hmm. So okay. you couldn't necessarily talk about right. sex. Like you wouldn't say to your, your, I, I don't know, maybe you'd say to your girlfriend, but you wouldn't say to your mother, yeah. like, you know, <laughs> is it as fun as they say? Um, right. <laughs> but you would hear older women maybe talking to each other, banning about sort of jokes. There's a okay. lot of, you know this, there's a lot of verse and songs about sex. Um, mm -hmm. And generally speaking, the working people who live in close proximity do not yeah. consider sex off bounds at all as a topic. Oh, that's as so you interesting. go further up in social class and you get people yeah. living in privatized spaces, there's right. much more a sense of that as being private. Wow. So you think there's really something about structure here where there's you a just, lot, you know, there's a lot about structure. Yeah. So like you're living in a small home because you're not particularly wealthy and you hear what's happening next door or between the thin walls. Right. And so there's there's just less stigma because how can you how can you stigmatize that? It's it's something you're very much aware of happening. And so when I say early times, I'm actually thinking, first of all, you don't own your house. Well, we won't get into right. all that. But you're, but you're okay. already thinking about tenement houses with thin walls right, in between. Right. That's, that's much later. So early, okay. let me put it this way. Um, there's a yeah. wonderful what time period by, yeah. well, there's a wonderful book by Estelle Friedman and John D'Amelio called Intimate Matters, A Sexual History of the United States. 
And um, the way they break it down is early times people talked about sex in terms of productivity. Okay. And as you get into the 19th century, you basically get sex talked about as eroticized, more about pleasure, but also talked about a lot less in some ways. Okay. We'll talk about that. And then in the yeah. 20th century, again, it continues to be eroticized, but there's a sort of flourishing of talking about sex. Interesting. So those are kind of the periods. So what one of the things that that so people think often in my classes, I want to talk about the Puritans because people will always use the term puritanical. Like uh, and they right, always assume right. the Puritans hated sex, which is right. so not true. It drives oh, tell me more. historians <laughs> of early America crazy. Um it's true that the ministers would were like Cotton Mather were were quite, you know, like you need to control this. But the idea was sex was part of marriage. If you were married, you were expected to have sex and you were going to have a lot of it because the idea was you were supposed to produce children. And so right. sex was great as long as it was in, within marriage. They have very, uh, very thorough laws um, really? and court cases um, about uh, homosexuality, bestiality, mm -hmm. um, okay. incest. So they are aware of all these kinds of sex. Um, right. sexes. And they actually have trials of, there's like a famous trial of this 16 year old who had sex with all kinds of animals and they list all the animals and then they, um, wow. they execute all of them in front of him and then oh execute my gosh. him. So oh. it's not like they were like, you know, wow. free for all sex, but they believe right. sex was part of life and they were a very nosy culture. I mean, that was part yeah. of their job was to police each other. So if someone was having sex in a barn and someone else saw them, they would actually get other people to come and look so they could, as a group, Witness. help that person, help that person improve their behavior by not doing this outside of marriage or okay. pressure them into getting married. So wow. it wasn't that sex was on the table. It was sex was yeah. on the table, but in very particular ways. Okay. And I'm picking up something. I mean, you mentioned a little bit before, but also with this time period with the Puritans, do you think it's because of it being okay, or it's kind of, it's sanctioned if it's for procreation, you know, I mean, you mentioned marriage, but is yes. that, is that because of procreation? Like is sex not stigmatized when it's to procreate and produce children? Okay. So we can, we can say that there are a few things. One thing I want to say is most people in North American mm -hmm. America yeah. were not Puritans. Okay. Right. So right. that means Native Americans were doing all kinds of sexual mores. It disturbed the British colonists to no end. Uh, it wow. didn't necessarily yeah. seem to disturb the French uh, explorers. Um, oh, that's interesting. Okay. <laughs> interesting too. They were all men and they were pretty much Jesuit and missionaries. Um, yeah. So this is early, early times. Um, but if you talk about the Quakers, they mm -hmm. were actually the ones who were much more careful about, about sex. In fact, mm -hmm. because they believed that the family should be small, they would often oh, okay. have two rooms with the men in one room and the women, and, and the, the couple would actually live in separate rooms so they could control fertility. Oh, interesting. Interesting. What's interesting about that, and by the way, sex was very different in the Southern colonies where you have an incredibly high mortality rate. So you, basically life is short and painful. Right. Um, and there's a lot looser sexual mores. So mm. we talk about Puritans as if it's all of early America. It's only a very right. small part, and it's the part that, that leaves the most documentation. 
So that's why yeah. we know more about it. So reproduction, reproduction is yeah. key. Um, yeah. So yes, and if it's about reproduction, what's also interesting is is the role that religion plays in this. So yes, sex is expected, but the idea is well, there are two two roots. Religion is worried about um, people getting too involved in their physical bodies, in their carnality, and turning away from mm -hmm. God. So the right. idea is you, that men need to control their sexuality. Um, they mm -hmm. really believe that women are not very well controlled sexually, hmm. that women are lusty, promiscuous, they want sex. Very hmm. opposite of what, what comes later. Yeah. And part of this is that the, the questions of control are really written by men directed to men. Okay. Um, but they do want women to be good women and not, mm -hmm. you know, be Eve and mm -hmm. seduce mm -hmm. the men from, right. you know, right. the wrong paths. Um, right. Because the men are very men, weak and, and, you know, very, can be easily seduced because they yes, just lose exactly. control. And, and the women are just, you know. And, and then the, the other part about this is that in medically, and we're talking about way back to the Greeks, and um, okay. there's an idea that for a woman to conceive, she has to orgasm. That so huh. so there's a, a pressure to have uh, to give her pleasure. And in fact, if she the harder she orgasms, the more mm -hmm. heat's produced. You're more likely to have a boy. So there's a what? preferencing of pleasuring your partner. Oh my goodness! For reproduction reasons, if there's more heat, then you would have a boy. Yeah. So there's. <laughs> There's this great book by Thomas LeCur called Making Sex, and it talks about these early ideas about okay. how sexes are created. And the idea yeah. is that that a fully formed human, so there's only one mm -hmm. sex, the mm -hmm. fully formed human is male. The Got undeveloped it. human is female. Of course. And that has not had its, its penis and testicles descend, but are ducked up in the body. So, right. 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 So that, that has an impact on female sexuality in the way it's viewed. That is so and male sexual. Yeah, mm -hmm. this is fascinating. Yeah. I'm learning so much. Well, um, it's okay, really so crazy then, because there's only one sex, yeah. but there's absolutely two genders. Absolutely. Oh, and there's a wonderful okay. Okay. story from, the, yeah. and we have the court records from the 16th century. And there's a wonderful article by Kathleen Brown. And it's yeah. about Thomasina Hall, who is okay. brought before the courts because they this is an intersex person. And basically, okay. it's become clear that this person should not be a female servant sleeping with a female servant because it's actually male. The males uh, of the community disrupting look at, the look, system. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the males look at this body and they go, no, that's way too small. That is not a penis. The women, because of the way these early, this is in Virginia, okay. uh, the way these early colonies are constructed, women have authority over women's bodies and childbirth. Okay. So they go okay. and they look at, at Hall's body and say, oh my God, that's not a woman. And so you get the two authorities at odds. So what yeah. they do to this poor person is they yeah, make. Yeah, who's just being inspected yeah. and examined right. by all who's these people. Like, oh, my gosh. And who says yeah. sometimes it makes sense to be male. Sometimes it makes sense to be male. I just yeah. choose. They right. make this person wear trousers and a female bonnet and an apron to indicate that they are neither status. gender. Yeah. Well, they don't, so they don't think of intersex status. It's yeah. more about the labor that you perform and what what rights you have within the, the culture, you have to have a gender role. 
So they know there's only one sex. That's fine. The issue is where do you put them in terms of gender? That is so interesting. And I I think we could have a whole nother podcast about gender, Just right? And not non-binary. And that is so interesting. Um, but I mean, I want to talk a little bit about, well, first you mentioned something with the working class. And as I think you, you were talking about later, you know, turn of the century time with working class and sex flourishing. Talk to me a little bit more about that. Where were so you? So this really starts yeah. to change when in like the late 18th century, early 19th century, and it really has to do with, there are a lot of things, but industrialism, urbanization, um, and what's, what really happens is a creation of the middle class. So there is no middle class before industrialism. There's the aristocrats that own the land and then their workers. And then there are a few people that are called middling classes that are kind of in between that are like the lawyers and the merchants, but that's not a large population of people. When you have industry, you start mm-hmm. to have uh, these people who are educated, who are managers, who are mm-hmm. who are doing labor that gives allows them to save up a little bit and have some property. Yeah. And so okay. you get the creation of the middle class. So the middle class comes out mm-hmm. of industrialism. It starts in Europe. Right. That takes off the United States. Right. And at the same time, you have the creation of the middle class. Ooh, lo and behold, you also have the creation of cheap uh, publishing because you have the development of cheap paper and, and right. cheap printing. And so the middle class is the one that creates the newspapers, the story papers, the magazines. And okay. so they start to articulate, how yeah. do you show that you're middle class? Because these are often right. people trying That's to get out of the working class. And you show right. it in these ways. And one of the clearest ways is that women are not lusty. They are not sexual. Um, they, they are motherly. They want to be mothers. But they okay. don't think in terms of sexuality, and you and and part of being middle class. And this is incredibly important when you think about the economics. Um, yeah, middle class people want to have fewer children. So the idea is you have fewer uh, children and you okay. raise them and educate them in a particular way. And the only okay. way you can do that, and people, by the way, have always come up with their own forms of contraception. So I don't want right. to say that no one has any way of controlling childbirth, but for the right. most part. If you are mm-hmm. a sexually active person, for you know this, mm-hmm. this is what you do. Yeah, like right. six, you're going to get pregnant. Women are built right. to get pregnant. Okay, they're right. not. That's what. That's the way the bodies. So that's the default. So for that, <laughs> so if you look at the early 19th century, the average woman has about seven children. By the okay. end of that century, she has basically three and a half. So wow. she, the drop, the birth rate literally drops in half. Now, yeah. who is that group? Those are mostly white people, mostly mm-hmm. middle-class people, obviously, and mm-hmm. they're in urban areas. So, so income's so, repression. Is that what you're saying? Like this is where yeah. sexual so repression this is, starts? This is when you start to think about women shouldn't be very sexual. This yeah. is what we think of as Victorianism. So Victorianism okay. takes, takes hold in the reign of Victoria, which is 1837 yeah. to 1901. Yes, she's in England but it has mm-hmm. ramifications in the Western world. And yeah. so the idea is men should not trouble their wives with their sexual desires. Women okay. don't have sexual desires. There's this whole argument of passionlessness that women yeah. really have no need for sex. Um, mm-hmm. They only have a need to mother and take care of people, nurture. And mm-hmm. men have the desires for sex. So a couple of things come out of this. One, well, actually many things. One is 
women who are respectable, who are right. non-sexual beings. So right. all the women who are not respectable, enslaved women, poor women, immigrant women, they're still lusty and, un uh, and out of control. In fact, their sexuality is a sign that they're out of control. Yeah. And yeah. so one of the ways I always say that the United States is a very binary one, and maybe other yeah. countries are as well, but black women's sexuality is really shaped as a foil mm. to this white women's respectable sexuality. Wow. So yeah. black yeah. women positive with all the promiscuity and lustiness that had been put on all women. Yeah. White women become, white children, in fact, are born innocent of sin. Black mm -hmm. children, if you look at the way they're depicted, are not. So, so wow. it's, it's getting tied to race as well. That so, is so interesting. Yeah. The other thing that emerges is, as men are not supposed to bother their wives, you get mm -hmm. a burgeoning prostitution. Uh, right. Industry, sex work. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Sex work takes off. And so, and it's really interesting if you look at prostitution, it's fascinating in this century because there's mm -hmm. so many different kinds. And we tend to yeah. think of brothels, but there's a lot of women who will have a series of really kind of romantic relationships with men where they write letters and they mm -hmm. talk about feelings and they have sex. Mm -hmm. um, and they're, they're prostitutes, but they're not the same kind of prostitutes that are going to mining towns, for right, example. Right, right. This is so amazing. Okay. And also around this time, correct me if I'm wrong, comes the Comstock law, right? Yeah, and that's so this now is really we're seeing that resurface in current times, which is a little crazy, but please tell us why. <laughs> so I just want to say I've been teaching about this since 1996 yeah. and my students yeah. have literally up to 2023 have been like, this is the craziest law. This actually worked. This actually went into place. Kind of the way we talk about prohibition actually. Right. They really thought okay, that. Yeah. Good drinking. analogy. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but, and then this is very class. So we had just talked about it the week before it came out in the papers that they were trying to revive the Comstock Act. And we're all like, what? Okay. So this yeah. is what happened. So essentially, first of all, abortion is, le is legal. It's common right. practice. It, it okay. has all over the Western world, all over the world. It is legally, it is not illegal anywhere. It never okay. has been. Not criminalized, um, not illegal. Yeah. Not criminalized. There's a belief in the Catholic Church that they don't even mm -hmm. think of it as abortion, literally, until quickening, hmm. which is usually about 20 weeks of pregnancy when you can, it's 16 to 20 weeks, really, when mm -hmm. you can feel the infant move. And that's also the word mm -hmm. of the mother. And in 16 weeks, you wouldn't really notice. It feels mm -hmm. like, uh, like gas, really. Mm -hmm. And so right. they don't actually think it's, what they do is they say, um, you can return to the menses. So you can make your menstruation start up again by doing these things. It's They realize it's not going to result in a baby, but it's not that you're killing a baby. It's that you're yeah. returning to your menses. Okay. Okay. So this has to do with Anthony Comstock because as you get into the late 19th century and you have more people who are literate and reading these newspapers that are by now sold in the streets for two cents, if yeah. you go to the advertising pages, they're full of ads um, for contraception and abortifacients. And there's a very famous abortionist called, she goes by the name Madame Rostel, it's not her real name. And Anthony Comstock is um, appalled by not so much abortion and contraception as mm -hmm. people making money off of abortion and contraception. So what's wow. happened is what has been a cottage industry has now, mm -hmm. like everything else that's going commercial, become a commercial industry. 
and okay. it's being advertised and sold and people are profiting. He doesn't think he can go back and stop abortion or stop midwives from giving penny royal tea to the people who want or women from drinking right. turpentine to have an abortion or you know, all of these other things people are doing for contraception and abortion. What he doesn't want is, and he, and I say him, but he's actually part of a whole movement, which is called the purity okay. movement, which is okay. begun by mostly middle-class, mostly women actually, um, in these urban areas who want to clear up this sort of very visible vice that's being okay. celebrated. And they don't just mean the advertisements, they mean the dance halls, the street fair, um, their whole... And the streets of entertainment in cities, including Broadway, are really for men. What? And so they want those streets to become open to families. And the okay. only way that can happen is if you get all of this vice out of the public eye. Right. So what this Anthony Thomas so does is but he does this whole presentation mm -hmm. on, on what's happening. And they right. appoint him postmaster general. And the law that they passed, which is the Comstock law, is no materials of obscene nature can be sent in the public mail, which is a federally owned entity. So it is against federal law to have anything. So he obscene. was a postmaster general. That's how he asserted general. control. Right. Wow. I and understand. That. Okay. This does not mean that they're reading people's mail because they can't read everybody's mail. You could send right. whatever you want in mail. What, you, okay. what it really is cracking down on is newspapers and magazines and public documents. Okay. So if you think about it, at this point, people don't have telephones. We don't mm -hmm. have radios. So the mm -hmm. way they're getting information is newspapers. And it, the newspaper thing, people don't realize this. But in 1848, almost as soon as the, the, um, trans, the telegraph was created, mm -hmm. there's the Associated Press. And the Associated Press, what they do is at first they're all assigned a certain amount of time in the telegraph. What they do is they they compile all their time to create a news base that they can all pull from. So what that means is if there are ads for abortion, all that other stuff in California, they're also, in, I mean, in New York, they're also in, in California. They're, they're going literally everywhere in the country. You can be, by now we have a transcontinental nation. We have a train that goes across. We have the train literally connects to a shipping yard that goes to the rest of the world. Um, wow. And all and of this information. Comstock wanted yeah. that to stop. He wanted to put a kibosh so on he that. Does. Brilliant, really. He yeah. does it by this one, it, him and the federal government, it's not him alone. Yeah. They crack down and, it, and that's what it does. It's a freezing thing on all public okay. mention of this. Wow. So what does that mean for today? Because I heard something on NPR where there was someone trying to bring this back today and saying how proud Comstock would be if he were alive today. And I was like, what in the world? So what is that? What are, what are they talking about? So it's, it, well, I don't know how they would do it because our lives are so much more complicated. I mean, look at our post office is practically dying because mm, we're all using true. email and everything else. Yeah. So, so the Comstock law wouldn't actually work. So it would okay. have to be. But it's some uh, idea of censorship, version. or okay. It would have to do with um, any public airways having any kind of info. And this is the problem with his law, though, too. And this mm -hmm. is why they want to do it. Is obscene is the word that's mm -hmm. used, and it's so right. vague. There's absolutely right. no definition of obscene. And so what right. happens is anything about women except for, yeah. you know, the women's pages that have recipes and style guides and all of, you know, this stuff yeah. are called obscene. 
So there's okay, nothing so like my podcast about. would be obscene. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Trying yeah, to educate exactly. women about their health exactly. and their reproductive. Yeah. Okay. yeah, exactly. In fact, that's why Margaret Sanger becomes the big like you know uh, counter to Anthony Comstock because she okay. writes a little series of articles called right. "What Every." I think it was. I think the first one was "What Every Girl Should Know," and the mm-hmm. second one is "What Every Woman Should Know." And she talks mm-hmm. very openly about contraception because she's Irish Catholic, raised as a nurse, I mean, trained as a nurse, and she sees yeah. all these women die from abortion yeah. and yeah. from childbirth because okay. childbirth is still yeah. killing. I mean, childbirth is nine is it's so much more dangerous than yeah. um, than a, a safe abortion. So, right. um, so. She wants these women to know this. And because of that, she ends up um, imprisoned because of these. So she becomes this like big crusader against Anthony Comstock and okay. persuades actually a series of physicians that women's health care is imperiled by this law. Okay. So it goes directly to the current debate, which is, is abortion part of women's health care? Got it. Um, So interesting. Yeah. And then she, you know, of course, um, became the beginning of the of the foundations of Planned Parenthood. I know like a little bit about just to to let you know, she she first has her husband, who's a wealthy industrialist, I can't remember what he does, but he sneaks in um, rubber diaphragms in um, oil containers from Europe to sell on an underground market because you can't buy them. Yeah, you can't Um, even though condoms are widely used. Because right. during at World War One, they passed them out to the soldiers. That's when condoms go become a big thing. So, yeah. but this is what's really fascinating. She ends up organizing and bankrolling and finding the scientist who creates the birth control pill that comes out in 1960. So she is right. absolutely has changed the lives of every modern woman in the world through this. Yeah. Now, she doesn't. This is a really fascinating story, too, in terms of women's history, because she does all this on behalf of women, but she gets in trouble for it. What she mm-hmm. does is she unites with another movement, which is has more money, is more powerful, and has a lot of men, which is the eugenics movement. And oh, under the eugenics gosh. movement, she finally gets the support that she's been trying to get for women's health. Population and she control. Up, but it's whiteness. It's all about whiteness. Now, that's so sad. If you yeah. look, it's really sad. So she has now had a very tarnished um, story, mm-hmm. deservedly so, for some of what she says. But it's yeah. actually a very familiar story to women's historians. It's very hard to make change yeah. without, we see it with suffrage. It, they may, yeah. Elizabeth Stadies, they, they, they turn to whiteness to make suffrage yeah. pass. This is the story. That's so, so sad. It, yeah. Oh, my gosh. All right. My last question for you, because we could go on forever, is why is there a problem with stigmatizing women's sexuality, right? Like thinking through this, like why, why has this been something that's continued on in different forms and different ways? And why do we need to care about it as women? And, you know, why should we be aware of our history? Well, first of all, you should be aware of women's history because there's all kinds of studies that show that when you study women's history, whether you're a girl or woman, it actually has this incredibly empowering effect. People, past high school. There's all kinds of reasons we show women's history in high schools. But um, in terms of why we should know, what I tell my students is you don't want to think about it like the ocean. So if you look out at the ocean, it's like this giant body of water. And But if you study 
oceanography, what you discover is it's all these streams of water that have a history. They have particular salinity, weights, temperatures. And even though we're in the present and we're like, oh, we're in the present, why should this matter? All of those currents are still there, all of them. Right. The idea that women are lusty, the idea that black women are more lusty, the idea that women don't have any sexual need. Um, all of that is still in play. It doesn't go it away. comes from somewhere. Mm-hmm. But what will happen is new modern developments will come. So one of the modern developments that's really fascinating in the 20th century is really with the development of psychology and psychiatry. And Freud is the name we know. And what he essentially, and it's not just him, but there's a, a, an idea that sex is actually part of life. And it is just like food and sleep. We have a drive for it. So that right. opens up discussion about sexuality, but they're still not comfortable with the idea of good women as being sexual. That's okay. when you get to Kinsey. Kinsey comes out with these books and shows that, in fact, all these women are doing this stuff. We right. get to the 60s with the pill. And finally, sex for erotic pleasure, which is something that's totally romanticized, starting with the industrial period in the 1830s, um, is decoupled from reproduction. And so then sexuality can actually be talked about only in terms of eroticism, right? Do you want women to just become erotic beings where it, the issue isn't building a home and, and playing these very, the roles they've, they've literally, I mean, going way yeah. back. There's something about, da- there's something dangerous about that for well, it society, is dangerous right? Because... <laughs> I mean, it's a whole new thing. It's literally right. like a whole new thing. Yeah. Oh, so interesting. I know we could talk forever and ever. And um, yeah, I would love to do have you come back and talk more about some of these details, especially if any of you out there are listening and, and something has sparked your interest, please um, fill out the question form on the website and we'll have Renee back. It's amazing. Um, you are a wealth of resource and history and uh, thank you for your time today and, and for thank you sharing for with having us. Me. So appreciate it. I, yeah. I will do anything to get the public to learn some of this stuff because it, it changes the way you look at the world. <laughs>